Well, uh, I'm going to invite you to uh, grab your beverages and come on back in and take your seats. We'll continue with our uh, teaching time together this morning. And you will notice Pastor Keith does not have a jersey on. He's very superstitious about these things. You know, he has, he has pre-game rituals that he feels have a meaningful impact upon the outcome of the game. And I don't know how you feel about that, but you know, everyone has rituals. Athletes have tons and tons of rituals, but families also have rituals. Something different for each family, right? Now, for our family, one thing I didn't know, or I didn't think a lot about is, I didn't think about the traditions that I had, but maybe not everyone would share those traditions. And I discovered when Meg and I got married that our traditions were quite different. And when you get married, you think maybe you'll just continue on with whatever traditions you have had in your family until your spouse looks at you as if you, with love and compassion in their eyes, and as only they can do, says, are you crazy? We're never going to do that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. So this happened to Meg and I the first Thanksgiving that we were married. So I was on staff uh, up at North Valley Community Church in Walnut Grove. And I was in charge of the Thanksgiving display that year. And at North Valley, there were lots of senior saints who took this very, very seriously. And so they really brought it for the Thanksgiving display. I mean, they would bring in this whole horse-drawn antique wagon that they would put at the front of the church. And they would bring in, like, canning that they had been working on for months and months and months. So Deb and William and Heather, you guys would be very proud of them. So they would bring pumpkins and fair mills, and they would bring sheaves of wheat. I don't even know where they found sheaves of wheat, but they would go and find them and bring them to the Thanksgiving display. And it was beautiful. Like they really, really did a good job on this thing. So Thanksgiving morning, things are winding down after the last service, and I say to Meg, Let's go up to the front, and we'll take our picture by the Thanksgiving display. So this is 16 years ago, before you, know, you did this to post it on Facebook. And Meg looked at me as if I had lost my mind. You see, in my family growing up, we always took a picture by the Thanksgiving display. You just did that, and I didn't even ask. After, as, soon as, as soon as the gathering was done, well, we're fine, we just kind of gathered up at the front, you took the picture, and then you went on about your day. Like, this was just as much a part of our family tradition as opening one, Christmas, one present on Christmas Eve, which was always pajamas. It just always happened, and you didn't ask questions about it. And I realized that morning, Meg didn't share this tradition with me, and that this view that this tradition was maybe even a good idea. And I began to realize that morning where that tradition actually came from in my own experience. I realized that I grew up in a small farming community in northern BC, and they took Thanksgiving very, very seriously. Because in that little country church, Thanksgiving was connected, obviously, to the harvest. So it was when Jesus intended to put Thanksgiving in October, not at the end of November, when it crowds other holidays, Pastor Keith. So when we would say things like bringing in 
the sheaves or we plow the field and scatter the good seeds on the ground, but it's fed and watered by God's almighty hand. Like, we like that because that's what we did. That was sort of the livelihood and the rhythms of real life. So Thanksgiving was a big and significant part of our ritual and our tradition. And so as a farming community, when people took that so seriously, Thanksgiving came alive in a different way. And Thanksgiving was in some ways kind of the pinnacle of our year. It was the holiday that really was something big and significant. And so that display at the front of our little church growing up was about way more than just having a pretty picture there. It wasn't just window dressing. It was deeply significant to the people that were a part of there. It was a dramatic statement of God's generosity toward us. And I can remember growing up, these old farmers who had been tilling the same plot of land for decades and so even for generations, walking into church on Thanksgiving Sunday morning with fistfuls of freshly harvested grain and putting it up at the front of the church as an offering of thanksgiving to God. And that was significant to them. I mean, some of these guys, I never saw them get emotional about anything, but on Thanksgiving Sundays, they would be close to tears and weeping. Sometimes it had been a horrible spring, wet and light, and almost last the entire crop. And so when they came on Thanksgiving Sunday morning, after surviving a year like that, it was a big deal. Some years we had hail or frost or pests or summer droughts or any number of things that could wipe out your whole year's work and for some, your whole livelihood in one weekend. And so when the first wheat of the season was harvested around Thanksgiving, it was a big deal because it was precious to those farmers. And so when they brought it, and put it at the front of the church as their declaration of thanks to God. When they marched up that narrow aisle at the front with their hearts full of joy over God's continued protection and provision for them in their lives. It was a big statement for them to make of thankfulness for God's goodness as an act of worship. And I didn't realize it at the time growing up, but thinking back on it now, One of the things I came to understand was the reason it was such a big deal is because usually in early October in Dawson Creek, where I grew up, you hadn't brought in the rest of the harvest yet. Like 90% of it or more was still out there in the field. And so every little bit that you harvested was precious. And so to bring that first bit and give it to God October, when the weather could still turn, the snow could still come early, you could still be lost. But that's what made it so beautiful and so precious, was not only a statement of gratitude for God's generosity, but also a statement of confident trust that, yep, this is just the first part, and I trust God that he's going to continue to provide for me throughout the course of the rest of this year. Well, here at Jericho Ridge, most of us are not farmers, and so we don't have that same kind of association with the fruit of the soil. And in some ways, we actually work in different ways, and so we have to work harder to understand that same act of gratitude that those farmers were making 
for God's provision. We're in the midst of a teaching series right now called The Genius of Generosity. And in this series, we're exploring what it looks like and what the Bible teaches on the topic of how to live with generosity in every aspect of our lives. Aspects of uh, Next week, we're going to be talking about how we can live generously with the skills and abilities that God has gifted to us. And then the week after, Al Thiessen's going to preach on how we live with generosity related to our time. How do we think about and use our time with generosity? And uh, we're going to have uh, Ron Taves come in March and talk how to be generous in times and experiences of suffering that God brings us through. And this morning, we're going to look into God's Word, and we're going to see that just like those farmers at the Thanksgiving display, generous living involves a few things. It involves giving God our first and our best. And when we do that, it actually requires an incredible amount of faith on our part. Giving first to God requires our faith. So let's pray as we look into God's Word, and then we'll look at Proverbs chapter 3. So God, we thank you for uh, your gracious provision to us. You've given us strength to be here in this place today. Uh, You continue to give us many things in our lives, and we pray now, God, that you would uh, give us insight and understanding to look into your word today, and that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear what it is that you want to speak to each and every one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask. Amen. Amen. Well, turn with me uh, in your Bible or on your phone to Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, tucked just away after the more famous verses in uh, verse 5 and verse 6, which talks about trusting in the Lord with all of your heart, not leaning on your own understanding, in all of your ways acknowledging God, and he will direct your path. There's another set of instructions in verse 9 and verse 10, which is related to that. And Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth with the best part of everything that you produce. And then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. The message translation uh, says it this way, Honor God with everything that you own. Give God your first and your best. Or the New International says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. And that little phrase, first fruits, shows up all over the Bible, depending on the translation that you're reading. Now, for us as non-farmers, the notion of first fruits is a little bit trickier for us to understand, because it's a little bit more metaphorical than it is literal, like those farmers who walk down and put their first fruits, literally the first things they harvested in their fields at the front of the church on Thanksgiving. But in order for us to understand this, we have to kind of wrestle with it a little bit more because a lot of us get paid electronically. A lot of us work with our minds or with our mouths and not with our hands. And so we have to ask, does the principle of first fruits living have applicability for us today? I mean, whether you're bringing in sheaves of wheat or whether you're teaching or selling houses or driving a truck or preaching, or whatever your income streams are, the Bible invites us to wrestle with this notion of first fruits and the implications of that for us 
in our lives today. And Proverbs 3 here, it reminds us that in order to grasp the genius of generosity, we have to remind ourselves that we need to honor the Lord with our wealth, with everything that he's entrusted to us. So whatever we receive, small or great, of what we produce. So the first and the best part, the first fruits principle is, the first and the best part belongs to God as an act of worship and gratitude. And so that brings us to our first uh, principle of first fruits. We're going to look at four of them this morning. And the first fruits principle number one, or the first first principle of first fruits living, say that five times fast, is this. If God isn't first in our lives, everything else is out of order. First fruits living begins with a commitment to place God first in our lives. Second is no place for God. Because if God isn't first in my life or in your life, it doesn't matter how well ordered you have the other aspects of your life. Everything else is out of order. If God isn't first, everything else is out of order. But keeping first things first is one of the hardest things to do in our lives. It doesn't matter whether it's spiritually, but in any aspect of our lives. And so when God says, honor me with your wealth, the first and the best part of it, the reason why is because it's pretty easy for us to say things like, oh, yes, God is first in my life. But we need to actually be able to demonstrate that in some tangible way. There should be some actions that follow that we're demonstrating God is first in our lives. And we can say God is first all we want, but how we actually live this out is the real question for us. And that's why we're exploring together in this series on generosity. We might say, all right, Brad, that's fine, but some little verse tucked away in Proverbs, honor God with your wealth, first fruits, giving God my first and best, like that doesn't build a federal case for keeping God first in my life or for this first fruits notion. So let's look at what the Bible says about first fruits. And in order to do this, we have to go back to the very beginning. First fruits shows up very, very early in the biblical narrative. So where does first, come, first fruits come from? Well, we go back, all the way back to the story of Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis in chapter 4. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, we read about the story that Cain and Abel both chose different livelihoods. One was a farmer and one uh, herded sheep and cattle. And they both brought an offering to God. And God was... It says in the text, pleased with one and displeased with the other. So read with me in Genesis 4, verses 3 and 4. When it came time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gifts, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Every now and then, I don't know about you, but I read a story in the Bible and I think, I don't know, God doesn't seem to be being very fair in this. Why does God not accept Cain's gift? I mean, he brings it. 
he presents some of his crops. Like, did God want him to bring a lamb? It never says God wanted him to bring a lamb. So why would God want to get upset if he didn't bring a lamb? Well, it's not about a lamb or not a lamb. Look at the words highlighted there, what Abel brought. What did Abel bring? He brought the best and the first. And there's actually a huge difference between their offerings. What did Cain bring? Cain brought some of his crops. Scholars believe that Cain literally brought God rotting leftovers. After he was finished with absolutely everything, he scraped up what was left on the floor and went, well, I guess I should give an offering to God, so this will have to do. And he takes it and offers it to God. Whereas Abel offers God his first and his best. Cain brings God what's left at the bottom of the barrel, and it shows what's in his heart. First fruits principle number one, if God isn't first in our lives, everything else is out of order. And in the story of Cain and Abel, we see the second principle. And that is, when we give to God, we are to give our first and our best. See, giving to God our best is first fruits. Doing other than that is giving God our leftovers. I don't remember, again, another story from being on staff at North Langley. One night, a guy pulled up to the church, and he said to me, hey, I can't come out. We've got to take something out uh, of this. I, I want to uh, give it to the youth room. I said, oh, great. That, sound, that sounds fantastic. He said, yeah, I was going to take this right old coach to the dump, but I figured that I should give it to the youth. I said to him, you know what, buddy? And I knew this man where I said, neither God nor the youth wants your crap. Take it to the dump. Like, don't give whatever, you know, give to God whatever's like the bottom of the barrel. But, oh, I was going to take this to the dump. But I guess the youth could really use it. That would be a delight to minister in a youth room that's just full of couches that are just rotting away. Don't give God your crap. First fruit is giving God your best, not your leftovers. When you give to God, give your first. Give your best. And when we actually move on in the biblical narrative, we encounter specific instructions about how this is going to be lived out. This principle of first fruits in the Old Testament. Just like with Cain and Abel and my farming friends, when we go into the books where God gives instructions in worship, so the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, first fruits actually comes up in every single one of those, and it is always connected with a heart of worship and an action of worship. In the books of the law, there's instructions and very explicit ones about first fruits. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 26. The whole chapter is actually about this. And in verse 1, and verse 2, it says this, When you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, and when you've conquered it, when you've settled there, put some of the produce from each crop you harvest into a basket, bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and then place the produce there before the Lord your God, bow to the ground and worship before him, and afterward, you may go out and celebrate. 
because of all of the good things that the Lord your God has given to you and your household. goes on to talk about that those included in the celebration should be those on the margins, those who have no provisions uh, for them, those who are foreigners and aliens and strangers and the disenfranchised. God is very specific about that. And it's easy to breeze through that text without actually thinking about the implications of what that actually means. So think about this with me for a minute. You've just harvested, let's say, uh, you have a grove of olives. You've just harvested your first batch of olives of the season and begun to press them into oil. And so instead of going on with the rest of the harvest, what you're supposed to do is basket those up and take a trek from wherever you live to the tabernacle or to the place of worship and you're to bring that basket before God, leave it there, and then you're to go out and to have a wild and raucous party and celebrate because God has provided for you yet again. This actually was such a part of the fabric of life that there was a feast of first fruits. And at this feast of first fruits, the whole country would actually gather at the time of harvest. And it wasn't a somber kind of, oh, let's just get this over so I can pay this stupid God tax and go back to farming and my rest of my business. This was one of the highlights of their year. One of the festivals, the Feast of First Fruits. And it was a massive celebratory party. It was like Thanksgiving on steroids. You can read about it in places like 2 Chronicles 31 under Hezekiah or in Nehemiah chapter 10 and chapter 12. But think about the faith that it takes to walk away from your field and to bring that first fruit and offer it to God. To make that trek to give God your first and your best. You begin to wonder things like, are my crops going to be there when I get home? Are they going to be okay? What if it hails while I'm gone? This is partially why first fruits is such a big idea and such a big deal. Because first fruits principle number three is that giving first to God requires an act of faith. It requires an act of faith in God's continued provision for us in our lives. And you see, that's a problem again with Cain's offering or bringing God leftovers. When we give God whatever is left, whatever is left in our calendar at the end of a week, whatever is left over in our account at the end of a month, whatever is left over after the best time has been given to everybody else, when we only give from what we have left, that takes no faith whatsoever. But first fruits, giving to God our first and our best, takes an incredible amount of faith. Because it's saying to God, I actually trust you to continue to provide for me. Whenever we do something off the top, when we serve another person in love and compassion, and that takes time out of our week, we don't know if we'll actually have time to get rest, read, or get finished the rest of the things that we have to do in this week. Whenever it comes off the top, we're not guaranteed the rest. Being generous always requires faith. Because not one of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And so the wisdom of the world 
says, okay, if we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, then we should spend first what we have, save second, and then give last. Whatever's left over, then that can get distributed however we want to do that. But generous living actually inverts that whole order of things and says, give first, save second, and then start spending. It's a statement of radical faith and trust in God because something could happen to your business or your employment or your family that would not allow you then to continue in some way. And so it's risky to do first fruits living. But first fruits says, I trust God enough that he will continue to take care of my needs and provide for me, not just today, but into the future. St. Augustine said this about faith. Faith is to believe what you do not see. But the reward of faith is to see what you believe. Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of faith is to see what you believe. And make no mistakes, friends. The reason generosity is genius is because there is a reward. It's risky, but there is a reward. And often I think we shy away from talking about it because we don't want to get lumped in with some of the negative excesses that are more than out there in the Christian community. Prosperity gospel people who say, well, if you give to God, God will make your life trouble-free and awesome. So sometimes, because those excesses are so on display, we back off from talking about the ways in which God talks about first fruits as a reward for those who practice it. Because first fruits living does have rewards connected to it in the scriptures. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 10 said, honor the Lord with your wealth, the best part of everything you produce, and then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. This is the fourth principle of first fruits. First fruits is not just about our gifts to God, but also about God's good gifts to us. First fruits is not just about our gifts to God, what we're going to give him, but also about God's good gifts to us. See, in Ezekiel chapter 44, the prophet is prophesying about the restoration of people who are far from God. And he says this in verse 30, The best of all of your first fruits and all of your special gifts belong to the Lord, and when you do this, the Lord will will bless your home. Now, don't hear what the text does not say. The text does not say, when you give to God, God will pour financial blessing and resources into your house, like Steve Martin in that movie, Leap of Faith. If you haven't watched it, it's a great older movie to watch about a a televangelist who makes these outlandish promises of return on your investment. God's not saying, you give to me, I'll give to you, in one it's, it's kind of a one-for-one one kind of a ratio. But it does say, when you make that commitment to step out in faith and the first fruits of all of the gifts that you have belong to the Lord, and you make that commitment, the Lord will bless your house. 
the prophet is not saying that this is some kind of financial scheme of when you pay the God tax, that somehow God will give you something in return for that. Simply saying that when your heart is rightly ordered and your priorities are aligned, that one of the signs of a restored heart is right priorities, and the Lord blesses the homes of those who live in this way. Here I think about people at Jericho Ridge who are figuring out tangible ways to live this out and to share generously what they have with others. This week, Wendy Jansen set up a, a group on Facebook called Free Food Blessings. And this is where anybody gets a surplus of free food, they can post it so that others can share in that blessing. Like, I just love the creativity that people are exercising to actually distribute the good gifts that God has given to them in ways that have nothing to do with money, but everything to do with living generously and sharing with others. You see, when we progress through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, the first fruits principle and the the term first fruits helps us to understand and come to grips with not only our gifts to God, but also God's incredible gifts to us. In Romans 8, we are told that the gift of the Holy Spirit is an evidence of the first fruits of what God wants to give to us. That the Holy Spirit has been given to those who have expressed saving faith in Christ as a kind of first fruits of what is to come in our lives. The Holy Spirit is like that first fruit gift that God himself has poured out into our lives and our world as a kind of prepayment of what is to come, a deposit, as it were. But the gifts don't stop there. The language of first fruits is used again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which says we also ought to thank God because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, through belief in the truth. See, the gift of forgiveness of sins that is offered by the Holy Spirit through the grace of God in our lives, when we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, the language of first fruits is used to describe that forgiveness of sins that we realize. Jonas chapter 1 verse 18 says the same thing. God chose to give us birth, us birth through the word of truth so that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. You see, first fruits is not just about our gifts to God. It's also about his good gifts to us. The highest and the best expression of this that you and I acknowledge and what we have received is the language that is used in 1 Corinthians 15.20 of God as the forgiver and the leader in our lives when we come to know salvation through the finished work of Jesus. And guess what language is used to describe this? In 1 Corinthians 15.20 it says this, But now Christ has been raised from the dead and he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. In other words, the salvation that those who have trusted in Jesus and his saving death and resurrection, those who live under that reality are living in a first fruits kind of way. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate this incredible gift that God has given to us when we share communion together 
and respond to God. But before we move there, I want us to kind of do a little bit of an assessment of our own hearts and lives as it relates to some first fruits questions to reflect on and to respond to. And the first one is this, who or what is getting the first and the best parts of you? Your time, your talents, your money, whatever it is. You see, the reality is that you and I are giving our best somewhere. All of us are giving our best somewhere. Someone or something is getting it. Who or what is getting it? What's at the top of your priority list? What's the top line in your budget? What's the immovable block in your calendar? Someone or something is getting the best parts of you. Is God getting that? Or is he getting something else? Because remember, if God isn't first in your life, then everything else is out of order. And so today, for you, what might be appropriate before we move into a time of communion is a prayer of confession and repentance to ask God again to take his rightful place in your life. Maybe for you, you've never done that here this morning. Maybe that's a brand new idea for you. And we would simply do that by praying and saying, God, I need you to be in charge of my life. I give you all of me, my allegiance, my life. I will live with my first and my best for you from this day forward. And if you want to pray that prayer in a few minutes, we'll have our prayer teams available at the sides, and we would love to talk more with you about what that would look like to take that step in your life today. Who or what is currently getting the first and the best part of you? I can remember a season in my life where I was a full-time student, a full-time pastor, a full-time husband, and a full-time new dad. Nobody was getting the best parts of me at any time. And I began to realize that the, the two people I was giving, or the two areas I was giving the least to was God and to my relationship with Meg. And so when I asked this question, who or what is getting the best part of me, then I had to do some assessment of where the best parts of me were going and do some reorganization in my life. Maybe that's you today. The second question is more of an internal, attitudinal question about first fruits. How would you write your current attitude about first fruits living? See, sometimes... We can fall into a few traps around this. One trap is a trap of legalism. And legalism, intriguingly, around first fruits, other than bringing that basket, first fruits doesn't have an amount attached to it for individuals in the Old Testament. They could bring whatever they wanted, as long as it was the first and the best. And sometimes... What we do, if we are prone to fall into the trap of legalism, is we fix a percentage or a number in our minds, and then we think to ourselves, all right, fine, I'm doing okay with this. And that can be a helpful way. Tyler and Lindsay talked about what that looks like for them in a productive and positive way. But sometimes if we get fixated on that, our attitude is not one of joy, and that after we give our first fruits, we're going to go out and have a raucous party. We think, let's just get this stupid first fruits thing over with, and then I can do with whatever I want with the rest of my money. 
so we have to be careful about falling into legalistic attitudes about first fruits, judging other people based on what they give or don't give and how they orient their lives. The other one that we can fall into is just this attitude of, well, not even thinking about it very much. It just happens, you know, and that's fine. It's not connecting it with worship in some meaningful way because giving is all about our hearts and giving is always connected to worship. And so maybe today you need a heart check. Maybe today you have been guilty of giving God your leftovers and so today you need to repent and express to God a desire to change, inviting him to fill you by, with his Holy Spirit yet again so you can be generous in ways that honor God as the one who is your source and who is the giver of all good gifts and that God can again, because of an attitude shift, then see and allow his blessings to flow again into your life. But this is something that again, we'll talk over and over and over about this in this series. This is something we can't just give lip service to. There has to actually be actions connected to this type of generosity. Generosity has to show up somewhere in your calendar, in your bank account, in your words, in your deeds. And so maybe for you today, you need to figure out and ask God or ask a trusted friend, what specific action do you need to take to communicate to God that he has your first and your best? What specific action will you take this week to communicate to God that he has your first and your best? I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to watch a video which will help us transition uh, into a time of celebrating communion together. God, I thank you for the way in which you are incredibly generous to us. You give and you give and you give and you give and you pour out your mercy into our lives. You pour out your blessings into our lives. You promise to be with us and not forsake us in the challenging parts and seasons of our lives. And so, God, we receive all of this as a gift from you. And, Father, you call us to be generous stewards with everything that you have entrusted to us and poured out in our lives. And so, Jesus, I pray you'd give us increased wisdom as to how we can do that in specific and concrete ways, where you need to change our attitudes, where you need to change our actions, Father. We pray that you would bring... Uh, us into an increased alignment with what it is that your heart's and purpose is for, not only as us as individuals, but for us as a community of faith here at Jericho Ridge. We want to be generous with the resources that you have entrusted to us to steward collectively well, Father. And so, Jesus, we pray that as we ready our hearts for a time of communion and celebration, we pray that you would be first and best, that you would have our first and our best, and that we would place you yet again in your rightful place as we celebrate and as we remember your incredible gift of your son Jesus for us this morning. Let's watch this video as we transition, and I'll come up and give you a few instructions about how we're going to celebrate communion today.
left for God. Even if we give fruits left over, God can't accept the offering because it's not the first fruit. Other stories emphasize this truth. In the account of the fall of Jericho, the Lord gave strict instructions for the Israelites for not to keep any of the spies from Jericho. celebrate communion, it's in response to what God has done for us. And when we celebrate communion, it's a table that's open to everyone who is following a God in the way of Jesus. And so we invite everyone who feels that their heart is in the right place with God and with others to come to the table and to participate. Our prayer team will be available. Uh, Keith and Ruth Ellen will be available over at the far side, and Meg and I will be over at this side. And if you'd like to come, we would be privileged to pray with you if you're going through something in your life that you'd like us to stand with you in. uh, We would love to do that as representatives of the community of faith. And the team's going to lead us in four songs of response during this time. And so there's no rush to go to the table. Uh, We'd invite you to make sure that your heart is in a place where you would like to and are ready to receive. And uh, whenever you would be ready, you can make your way to one of the sides and you can participate in in the uh, bread representing Jesus' body, which was broken for us, and the cup, which is a sign of his blood, which was shed for us. And you can either take that back to your seats and participate, and you can stand or sit as we continue in worship as you feel led. And so Dustin and the team are going to lead us.